But I don't know about you, but I'm ready to hear some music now. I'm ready to hear the Word of God who's with me. So ladies and gentlemen, could you put your hands together for Peter Shirley as he comes to minister today. Good morning. Great to be with you again, real life. It does feel like coming home when I come here, and I don't say that lightly. I just, uh, I love your pastors, and uh, just, I think the culture of your church is very similar to the culture of my church, and that's what makes it feel very much at home. So, and I bring greetings from my church. They prayed for you guys this morning. They're pretty much done. They're our, our, two hours ahead of us. So, uh, and greetings from my family. Uh, since I last came, we don't have any more children. We stopped at five a number of years ago. But uh, we do one, have one and a half grandchildren since I was last here, so yes, we've, uh, we've stepped into grandparenthood, which is, uh, for those that are in that season of life, you know how exciting that is, very, very special season, so God is good, amen? So uh, I'm going to play a bit of fiddle. Great. That was a great... Uh, this afternoon, it won't be boring. Sometimes I do fall asleep in the middle of the concert, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll see how we go. But uh, love to see you out. So um, uh, I've just got to get this one out of the way, and then we'll move on to more serious things.
Beyond the changing of my mind Though my deepest fears about You're the one Through a dark and sleepless night 
When the sun just won't break through When nothing's going right Lord, you're the one You're the one who calmed the sea You're the one who healed the dying You're the one who walked on water And turned the water into wine You're the one who lived and died To set the captive free And you did it all You did it all for me Beyond the burden of my heart Beyond the trouble that surrounds Though my life be torn apart You're the one When there's no one left to hear When there's nothing left to say When there's no longer any tears Lord, you're the one You're the one who calmed the sea You're the one who healed the dying You're the one who walked on water And turned the water into wine You're the one who lived and died Okay, mate, I didn't uh, tell you I needed two microphones. All good. Hey, um, 
I do have some music. If you want to take some music home with you, um, I have a variety of options in the foyer. Uh, there's old-fashioned CDs. This is my latest album, Change of Scenery. I did have this last year. It was just released last year. Who would like this? Young man down the front, come on. First hand up. <laughs> Wonderful. Enjoy. Um, so I have CDs. I have um, download cards as well to download directly uh, to your device. And... Um, Our most popular item is a thing called the Platinum Collection, which is a plug-and-play thumb drive that has five albums on it uh, for those that, you know, don't have cars with CD players and things like that. So uh, it's good. Good to be with you this morning. And um, I kind of struggled to know what to call my message today, but I called it... I didn't call it Jesus Came for Everyone. I called it I Love You with two question marks. Uh, I actually started out with one question mark and thought that's not enough. So I added a question mark. Why the question marks? Um, I think most of us are really familiar with the concept of a God of love. A God who reaches out to us and actually says, I love you. It's a pretty universal concept, whether you're inside the church, whether that love of God is a personal reality for you or not. Uh, Everybody has heard somebody at some point in their life say, God loves you. We're familiar with the nature and the character of God, that he is a loving God. God is love, the Bible tells us. Even for those who are not yet Christian, I think they kind of get the concept. But the question marks... Um, I pose because I wonder if it's enough. I love you. Is it enough? I remember a few years ago doing a series of crusades uh, in some of the southern Philippine islands. And uh, most of them were in town squares, town centres, and uh, uh, we had a big team and we needed a big PA system in these outdoor venues. And uh, so we hired a local guy. His name was Jun, and he was just so good to work with. And he was genuinely excited to be on the road with us uh, for these crusades. But he kind of kept to himself and um, he seemed fairly quiet. But no question, he just loved being a part of the team. On the second last night uh, after the crusade, we were having some supper and I asked one of the local pastors, I said, tell us about John because he doesn't give you much. And he just began shaking his head and he says, John's in a lot of trouble. And I said, oh, why is that? And he said... "Uh, He's actually currently on bail awaiting sentencing for the shooting murder of his stepbrother. And immediately I'm thinking, thanks for telling us now. <laughs> but I actually couldn't believe what I was hearing because this young guy, uh, he was, I'd really grown to like him. But then also a deep conviction set into my heart that actually tomorrow night, the final night of the crusade was the, the last night that I'd actually have to meaningfully engage with him. And now he'd been hearing this message night after night for a couple of weeks. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Anyway, the conclusion of the final night, we're starting to pack the stage away and pull things down and June's off to the side rolling up his leads. And I called him over and I said, John, come here. And and I looked at him and said, John, do you know that God loves you? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And he turned away and went and picked up another lead and started rolling it up. And I called him back and I said, John, no, you've got to understand, God loves you. And you need to know no matter what you're facing now, it does not stop God loving you. No matter what you've done in your past, it does not stop God, it does not stop God, does not stop God loving you. 
And I was just trying to help him understand that you don't need to live under the condemnation of what you've done. And what you've done does not exclude you from the love of God. And I can't remember exactly what I said, but basically I wanted to help him understand that the love of God was for him. It's a personal issue. It's not just the global love of God, God is love, but rather something that you can personalize. And so I talked with him some more and then he, something, the penny began to drop and he, his eyes began to fill with tears. And I said, June, can I pray for you? And I just led him in a prayer. And by the end of that prayer, I opened my eyes and I saw a different young man standing before me with a grin from ear to ear as he personally discovered the depth of God's love yeah. for him. Yeah. But is love enough? Just pre-COVID, I was invited uh, to Mergen in Western Queensland to be one of the guests uh, at the 50th celebration of New Horizons Church in Mergen. 50 years celebrating their presence in that little town. But uh, it was a great celebration and people came from all over that had had associations with the church over those years. And it was a great celebration, which was kind of a Saturday lunchtime. And then there was nothing until uh, the following day's church services and uh, so I went back to my motel room in Wandai, because uh, I don't think there's any motels in uh, Mergen, but anyway, uh, it's their little country towns. And uh, anyway, I'm kicking around in my motel room. There's not too much to do in Wandai on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, and uh, so I'm kind of flicking the channels and came across the last half of the movie Avatar, uh, the, the original one, not the subsequent kind of, you know, anyway. Uh, it's, it's, and it's a really interesting movie. I actually really enjoyed it at the cinemas because I think the 3D effects in that were incredibly immersive. But anyway, uh, it was an interesting movie. And essentially, it's a love story. Now, there's a whole bunch of uh, very subtle or not so subtle uh, kind of subtexts. There's certainly a political narrative and a racial narrative and an environmental narrative that weave through the movie. But essentially, uh, it, it's this love story. And I'm watching this movie, and I'd seen it a couple of times at the cinemas, and perhaps once or twice since as well. But uh, as I was watching it, I realised that in this love story, the words, I love you, don't actually occur. And I I was fascinated. Nobody's saying I love you, and this is a love story. And in the movie Avatar, in place of the words, I love you, they say, I see you. I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. So as I'm there watching this movie, bought out of my brains at a motel room in Wandai. Uh, If you're watching from Wandai, it's a beautiful place. Um, (laughs) I I started Googling just this movie, and I Googled Avatar, I See You. And it's actually the whole theme of the movie. Uh, In fact, the musical score, the main repetitive theme all the way through the movie is called I See You. And it's the predominant theme of the story. And everything in Avatar, you didn't know you were going to get a story about Avatar today, did you? But everything on the planet Pandora is totally interconnected. And in the story, the characters, their lives only make sense as they understand their connectedness to others and to nature. So I see you in place of I love you is because life only makes sense when my life is seen by others, when I'm connected to others. And actually, the movie that afternoon, the movie Avatar, revealed a a, a message or a theme in Scripture that I actually hadn't noticed before. 
And here it is. God certainly has placed in the human heart and within our DNA a need to be loved. But he has also placed in our DNA a need to be seen. And I'm not sure if that's not why a child, when they're attempting something for the first time, whether it's riding a bike or a swing or some activity, they always say, Mummy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Look at me. And it's the need to be noticed, to be affirmed, to be recognised, to be seen. And there is this longing to be connected, a longing to be noticed. Now, the truth is mums are really good at doing that. And I don't want to pay out on the dads today. But here's a quote that I think carries a measure of truth about it. A woman knows all about her children. She knows about dentist appointments and romances, best friends and favourite foods and secret fears and hopes and dreams. A man is vaguely aware of some short people living in the house. <laughs> dads, dads are really good at I love you. Mums are really, really good at I see you. <laughs> Careful. But my, my, my intent this morning is to not bring you a message from the movie Avatar. I want to dig into Scripture because we see this theme in Scripture. And it's beautiful. Maybe it's where the writers of Avatar actually borrowed it from, I reckon, possibly. But there's a beautiful story in the book of Genesis. It's a story of a mother called Hagar. Reading from verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children... But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife, and he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands. Abram said, do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, now I have seen the one who sees me. How good is that? There's a little bit of background to the story. Prior to all of this, God had met with Abraham, Abram, and he had promised to him that he would give to him an heir. Abraham is, at this point, an old man. The Bible says as good as dead. Uh, Sarai, his wife, was barren, both in their very senior years. But God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and from that son will come a nation, and that nation will bless the world. And he's speaking of the nation of Israel. Problem is, both old and Sarah was barren. 
And even though God had made the promise, after 10 years there was still no baby, so they took matters into their own hands, and it was Sarah's idea. Abraham, have the promised son with Hagar, because it's not happening uh, just between you and I. But let's focus on Hagar. Hagar is this Egyptian girl living in slavery, living in a foreign place, and sadly she becomes a bit of a means to an end for a couple who can't have children. And it's really interesting if you look at those preceding verses. In the whole dialogue, Abram and Sarai never call her by name. She's just the slave girl or the servant girl. She falls pregnant according to the plan, but then she and Sarai don't get on, so... She begins to despise her. Sarah begins to despise her. Has no option because she's being mistreated, so she runs away into the desert. So here she is, middle of nowhere, on her own, pregnant, in a strange place, feeling totally despised, feeling outcast, feeling like an absolute nobody, and God shows up. And suddenly she feels validated, She feels recognised, she feels valuable, she feels noticed, she feels seen. And she gives a name to God, El Roy, the God who sees me. And Hagar, who up until this point had felt totally insignificant, And wonderfully encounters God and finds out, actually, I'm not insignificant at all. That's really, really interesting. That this conversation that Hagar has with God is actually one of the longest recorded conversations that any person has with God in the whole of the Old Testament. And get this, Hagar... The Egyptian slave girl, not even called by name by her masters, is the only person in the Bible who gives God a name. It's amazing. Up until this point, God had given himself names to be known by. He introduces himself to the the children of Israel, for example, as Elohim, that is, the creator God. The sovereign God. God introduces himself as Yahweh. It's the covenant God. El Shaddai, the almighty God. And all these names, they are big names. They give us an understanding of the awesomeness, the hugeness of God. The authority and the power of God. But Hagar needed something more personal. Something that expressed the intimacy that she had discovered when she encountered God on her own by a spring in the desert. She says, God, you are El Roy, the God who sees me. I don't know who you are this morning, but let me say this. Not only does God love you, but God sees you. God sees you. 
The psalmist captures it beautifully in Psalm 139. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And friends, we worship a God. We serve a God who knows us and a God who loves us. But he's also a God who sees us. We worship El Roy, the God who sees me. A number of years ago, uh, we were ministering through the schools in Mildura in northern Victoria. And uh, we're there for a couple of weeks. And I, from memory, I think we actually had access to every school in, in that town, both public and private. It was a really busy couple of weeks. Um, at the end of that tour, we returned to Brisbane, where we were living at the time. And... Uh, a couple of weeks later, I got a letter in the mail. Remember our letters in the mail? This was sort of the very, very early days of the internet. But this letter was from a young girl living in Mildura who had been at one of the schools that we had visited. And she obviously felt that writing to us was a safe place. And she basically poured out her heart in this letter. And I've got to say, it was brutal, absolutely brutal. And as a young teenage girl, the abuse that she was subject to, uh, just the state of her life, and then all of the avenues she had explored to try and escape the pain of her circumstances, it was absolutely just shocking. And my, just, my heart just broke as I read this letter. And I... Um, immediately got on the phone to one of the local Christian youth workers in Mildura and uh, just quickly outlined the story, uh, gave to them her details and made sure that that connection was going to happen, which it did. But out of that letter, I was just so stirred to write a song based on her experience that probably for the next 10 or 12 years became... Um, the centerpiece of our ministry in high schools to a generation struggling with identity, and that's even more so today. Who am I? Who am I? Finding their identity in a shifting culture, a confused culture, trying to find their identity in the midst of dysfunctional home life or in the midst of abuse or in the midst of addiction. And our theme really in a number of forms became what voices are you listening to in your life? Are you listening to the voice of negativity? Are you listening to the voice of dysfunction? Are you listening to the voice of abuse? But to encourage them, there's one voice that we need to listen to. And that's the voice of our creator. He says, I know you and I see you. We were, it was probably about 10 years after that, we were in Clare Valley in the wine region of South Australia. 
and again had a couple of really busy weeks visiting towns like Clare and uh, full itinerary. I got a phone call uh, on a Wednesday afternoon and it was from the chaplain of the Snowtown High School. Snowtown's memorable for all the wrong reasons, the bodies in the barrel at the bank. Um, Snowtown High School was not a part of our itinerary, but the chaplain called and said, is there any way you could squeeze us in? And I said, we're really slammed. I said, the only opening we have was for the very next day, last two periods of the day. And she said, done. And so we went to Snowtown High School. We had the senior students for two periods. And it was really um, such a, a, a productive time. They were so attentive, uh, so moved. And again, shared that story of identity. What voices are you listening to? And I shared the song. Anyway, after we'd finished, we were packing away. I'd just gone into conversation with the chaplain. I said, uh, how did you know about us? And she said, oh, well, I heard you were in the region. I just thought it'd be great to get you in. And I said, no, no, but how did you know of our ministry? And she said, um, you probably won't remember this, but when I was in school, you came to Mildura and I wrote you a letter. Wow. Hmm. Wow. And... Uh, hmm. And now she is working with at-risk young women. And here's the thing. Her circumstances didn't change. But when she came to Christ, her identity changed. And she said, my, not, my identity is not in what's happened to me. It's not in what's been done to me. My identity is in the one who loves me and the one who sees me. And uh, I said, uh, you know that song I just sang? I said, not only do I remember you, I said, I wrote that song inspired by the letter that you wrote to me. And so we had this moment together. And it was a really special moment that showed me how awesome our God is. And he is a God that can redeem the most painful, dark, hopeless circumstance of your life. And say, I can lift you out of that. That'll still be there, but I'm going to change your identity. And give you a future and a hope. So, uh, do you want to hear the song? Okay. Thank you to uh, Alan who loaned me his guitar. I have a really cool thing at the end of this song where I smash the guitar on the stage. Sounds away 
And the image that you see Is fading every day Pretty old thing Looking in the mirror And the tears roll down your cheeks just like they did Yesterday And you cry out for someone to really love you And the image that you see Is wishing it that way Gonna ask the team to come back. 
So what about you? Do you know a God who loves you? Do you know a God who sees you? Do you know a God who wants your identity to change? Because for some of us this morning, maybe what defines us is the stuff that we're carrying. Our hurts, our disappointments, our abuses, our addictions of the past. Maybe you're in the middle of that now. Know that you have a God who loves you, but you have a God who sees you right where you are at, right where you are now. And a God who says, I know, I know. But it's time for your identity to change. And the Bible gives us this beautiful picture when we say yes to Jesus. It tells us we actually become clothed in his righteousness. That's our new identity. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see the mess of our past and our mistakes. He doesn't see the hurts of our abuses. He doesn't see all that stuff that the devil day after day wants to remind us of, that he wants to draw us back to. God says you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're clothed in his righteousness. That means when God looks at you, he doesn't see that stuff. When he looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus, the perfect nature of Jesus. That is your identity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, this morning it is time for us to have a new identity, a God who loves us, a God who sees us, a God who rescues us. And there are some here right now, and God is saying, it's time to make a stand. It's time to let go of the past. It's time for you to change your mind about yourself. The way that you view yourself, the way that you look at yourself, the way that you see yourself. Because you see the scars, you see the wounds, you see the ugliness. But God says, I see you. Even if you're desperate and alone by a spring in the desert, I see you. I love you and I know you. And I want your identity to be found in me. Thank you, Jesus. New creations. Thank you, Lord. New hope. You've not said yet to yet said yes to Jesus. I'm going to make this as easy as possible while every head is bowed and while every eye is closed. If God is speaking to your heart today and you need to take a step of faith towards him and say, God, I need to find my identity in you. Would you just raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. So good. Father, as you're speaking to those people right now, as they realize this is a moment of faith, this is a step towards God. I pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you just seal this in their hearts right now. As they call upon the name of the Lord, that they would know, that they would know, that they would know, I am saved, loved by God, promised an eternal hope, an eternal future. And I pray this prayer on your behalf. Just agree with these words in your heart. Jesus, I come to you this morning just as I am. 
And I lay the burden that I've been carrying at the foot of your cross. And I want to walk free from that into my new identity in Jesus. Give me the courage and the confidence to do that. Jesus, come and occupy my life as Lord and Saviour. I give you every area of my life. I want you to guide me into the hope and the future and the purpose that you have for me. I leave my past behind. The Bible says to repent. That means I'm just changing my mind. I'm doing a 180. I'm turning around. Turning my back on what was and turning my face towards God. And Father, I pray as I say yes to you. That you would help me by your Holy Spirit to live the life, the new life in Jesus that I am now choosing to live. Make this real. Thank you for your eternal hope. I receive that gift of eternal life with a grateful heart as I say yes to Jesus. Amen and amen. Maybe for others of us this morning, uh, God's doing a healing work. Praise God. I pray that it's a breakthrough for you. As we sing a final song, Pastor Dave, is okay? We open the altar if you want to come and receive prayer. Uh, We'd love to just encourage you and stand with you and pray for you. And uh, God bless you. It's been so good to share the morning with you. Don't forget, 4 o'clock this afternoon, bit of fun, a lot more music. And uh, I promise I won't fall asleep. Thank you too.